I started to notice when I sat down that many of you always sit in the same place when you come in here. But then I've thought, well, I want to talk. I will sit here. <laughs> as long as you're comfortable. <laughs> so again, this is the ongoing meditation class. So those come for the introduction to meditation class. That is being held in the room to my right. So between here and the reception area. Done by Jeff. <laughs> oh, you've been meditating long enough. So anyway, that's just where uh, we don't sit for as long as we sit meditation in here. And here we usually sit meditation for 40, 45 minutes. And we do a, a little guidance uh, at the beginning of it. So as long as you can sit quietly and peacefully, this is wonderful, you being in here. So please make sure you get a nice seat, either on the cushions, on the chairs. Not many people these days use the stools. You've got one of the stools, uh, and you have a stool as well. You sit on, no, you sit on cushions. Would you like to hold it up? Because, oh, they're even lucky, yeah. Because those stools are really comfortable if you want to sit on the floor, you don't want to sit on cushions. You put it under your butt and you can put some of your uh, uh, legs underneath and it's really comfortable for people to sit. But if you prefer chairs, chairs are fine. If you always you get a little bit sort of uh, sleepy when you meditate, we always have some chairs. You can actually get an adjustable, uh, was it safety belt to put on it? so you don't fall off. <laughs> but a lot of times, if you lean backwards, leaning backwards often means that you can't sort of fall forward, so you just lean backwards and that will keep you much more stable. But usually, in all the years I've been here, that no one's ever fallen off one of the chairs yet, and don't think that you'll be the first just <laughs> to prove me wrong. But nevertheless, uh, it's quite comfortable in here. And that's an important part of the meditation, to make sure you feel safe. No, it's not you, Jacob. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> he can't hear. Well, how long have you been coming here? For years and years and years. You, yeah. You've been coming for so long. You've heard everything before. <laughs> so... <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyhow, so one of the most important things when we do meditation is keep a light heart. In other words, those people who get very serious, too serious, sometimes they get very tense. And when they get very tense, how can you relax and have some peace in your mind. It becomes impossible. It's vital in meditation that one can relax, to let things go. Please excuse me, but I do say this almost every week. You know, how heavy is the cup or the glass of water? The longer you hold it, the heavier it is. The only way to keep a glass of water still is to put it down, to let it go, to relax not to hold it, not to grasp it, not to keep carrying it, put it down. And when you put it down, you can leave it down here for 
hours. It's no energy that lost. It's no effort. And in fact, when you put it down and let it go, you do find the energy inside your mind actually builds up. You get more alert, more energetic in your mind. But not like an energy when you've had some coffee or something. It's an energy, just a beautiful natural energy. You feel alive and awake and without being restless. It's a beautiful energy of meditation. But what one needs to do is to keep it still long enough for that energy source to start filling the mind with beautiful energy. Which means you become more alert, more awake, and more at peace as well. The states of meditation, of peacefulness, they're not dull states. They're not states like you're in a trance, you don't know what you're doing. You're perfectly where you're like poised. As I said last night, it's like you get into the zone. It's another concept which many athletes, many musicians, many dancers uh, used to describe. That they practice, 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 but when they actually perform, they can sit there and just all their training starts to work. It becomes automatic. They don't put any effort or choice or will in at all. Everything slows down and stops, but their mind is just perfectly alert and aware. Which is what happens when you sit meditation. If many people complain about restlessness, and restlessness and tiredness, and you can imagine why people do feel tired, because you know you run around all day, especially have some kids to look after. You know, it's just, it just takes so much energy out of you. But don't worry, it's lovely when you can meditate. <laughs> look, I remember uh, you just remind me of this lady who used to go to our Armadale group many years ago. She had two small kids, and her kids would never allow her to meditate. Every time she crossed her legs and sat in a meditation position, they would crawl all over her, you know, poke her, tuck at her clothes, pull her hair, and they would never let her be still. And then one day she decided, I'm just going to meditate here no matter what my kids do. So she sat down and the kids again, they started climbing all over her, pulling her hair, poking her, and she didn't move. So then the kids, they did, went to the next level. <laughs> what they did, they said, no, Johnny, he's got a knife out of the kitchen cabinet. Mary's turned on the gas. <laughs> they tried all sorts of things to try and scare her. But she just sat there thinking, even if the home blows up, even if my two kids slash each other to bits with a kitchen knife, I don't care. I deserve to meditate. I'm going to meditate. And that's what she did. And when she did open her eyes, she found her two kids. They hadn't mutilated each other. They haven't blown up the house. They were just sitting quietly in the corner. And every time since then, she said, she had won her freedom to meditate whenever she wanted to. They would just leave her alone. And one of the reasons was that they realized that mummy which is a mummy was a much mummy was a much nicer mummy after she came out of meditation. The kids will know if your meditation is going well because they'll they'll let you meditate because you're much nicer afterwards. 
That's one of the things which happens with this meditation. You can, sometimes people think, no, I need to look after my kids. Sometimes that's the best way to look after the kids, when you sit down and meditate and make yourself really calm and peaceful. Go on, carry on, yeah. <laughs> okay. What temperature is it in? Minus six? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's okay. I like it cool. Excellent. So, this is the way that we can realize that it's one of the kindest things to do, but we need to relax. Mm. Well, to relax, you know, sometimes you may not have kids, but you may have some other problems in your life, difficulties, things which is bothering you, or people trying to contact you. And sometimes it's wonderful just to sit there quietly. And it's that little technique I call like creating a bubble around you, a meditation bubble. So wherever you are in the world, at work, in an office, in a lab, or wherever, you can just imagine a bubble, and you're inside like a cave, and that's the place you can meditate. And it's your space, you deserve that space. Which means you don't have to worry about what's happening outside of you. There may be noise, there may be music, there may be demands on you, but you can just sit there quietly. And it's not that hard to be able to not be uh, concerned, not be drawn out of the bubble which you deserve, the bubble of peace, the place of no stress inside of you. If you realize how important it is to relax and be at peace, it's noticing its importance and that it's a totally positive thing to do for your kids, for your work, and especially for your health. So many health problems arise because people work too hard. And the reason they work too hard is because they work inefficiently, doing too many things at the same time and not having the nous to say no sometimes. And when you say no sometimes, it's not you will not do it at all, it's just you will do it later on. And when you can schedule things in without any stress, you find you can get so much work done. It's sometimes that people look at me, I'm a monk, I've been a monk for many years now, and in all those years I've been a monk, I've done a lot of work. And much of the work has been very successful. And because of that, you, know, you can see that, just, do you work all night, do you sleep? Of course I sleep, and of course I spend lots of time meditating. And it's because you spend lots of time meditating, you can relax your mind, that's where you build up the energy. You can get more done, because your mind is more efficient when it knows how to meditate. It knows how to do one thing at a time, and sometimes that one thing at a time is just resting. When it knows how to rest, then when it's working, it has lots of energy. And when it has lots of energy, it can perform to a very high standard. This is what we learn in meditation. When we start meditation about five minutes time, it's the opportunity you shut your eyes, and when you close your eyes, the sights are taken away from you. It would be wonderful if you could shut your ears, if you had ear lids as well as eyelids, 
so you wouldn't have to hear anything. But obviously over here, you can hear, but you don't listen. In other words, you can know sounds, but you don't try to understand it or investigate it or understand what, it's, what it means. Sometimes you can hear the birds chirping, but honestly, I can guarantee they're not talking about you. So you don't need to listen to the birds. Is that correct, birds? See, they shut up now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but whatever, as long as you can learn to let the sounds go, smells, tastes, and physical uh, feelings as well. The biggest problem for meditators is all their memories and their plans for the future. We always do too much, even during meditation. It's not the opportunity to work out all your problems. It's the opportunity to be still, really still. And when the mind becomes still, in other words, the thoughts get less and less and less and less, and the awareness gets stronger and stronger and stronger. That's when you can start to get the joy, the joy of just experiencing the beauty of this world. It's a strange thing to say, but even just last night, just seeing this, actually just a couple of nights ago, seeing the stars at Bodhinyana Monastery where I live at night time. You know, if you do some meditation, you come out and see those stars are absolutely gorgeous. And the reason is because you're not naming them, your mind is quiet, so that sight, you, see, you can see it without giving it names, without trying to figure anything out. You allow it to just be like a quiet, full awareness of the stars at night time in the quiet forest. This is the joy, the energy which comes up with meditation. And hopefully that that can be felt by you. And if it can, that will mean that some meditation is starting to get good. You're getting more happy, more peaceful. You're learning how to relax and restore the energies of your mind. Just like your mobile phones. You know, sometimes if you can turn it off and recharge it, that's what like meditation is like, recharging your mind. And then when you charge it, when it comes out afterwards, if you use the, uh, the, f the flashlight, the torch function of your mobile phone, everything is nice and clear and powerful. It's like back to full working order. And that's what it feels with your body and mind. You relax and rested. So sometimes you can call meditation learning how to relax to the max and recharge the energies of your body and of your mind. You can see properly, you can think properly, you can know deeply, and what you usually find out is something very beautiful and wonderful and joyful. Anyway, that's a little bit of an introductory talk. So now we can actually start the meditation. So if you haven't uh, got yourself in a really good position yet, please just adjust your body to get prepared for the 45 meditation period. Uh, kids got out. Okay. They were just sitting quietly. They could always come in next time. So anyhow, 
you know, sometimes uh, had little children meditating in here, and sometimes they've fallen asleep. But the children never, they never snore. And later on it's amazing what they pick up and just what they learn, the kindness and the stillness and the peace. So next time, give them a chance to come in and see what they do. So please close your eyes. With your eyes closed, see if you can bring awareness to your body. How does your body feel right now? This is like, you know, when you turn on the the car, you have to go on a journey, especially a long journey. You've got to make sure that everything's in its right place. Enough fuel in the car. Everything is packed in the proper place. Just doing this check. But it's not just to check your body to make sure it's comfortable, it's much more than that. It is starting to build up the power of what I call kindfulness. The kindness together with mindfulness. The two, to, two together joined forces. So I'm kindful, I start with my lower legs my toes and my feet and my ankles and my calves. Kind of I say to them, how are you? How do you feel today? Is there anything you need? Anything I can do, can adjust? You're deliberately increasing your mindfulness of those areas. And when I did that, I found my big toe and my right foot was squashed. So I just slightly adjusted my posture. The knowing what's happening is mindfulness. And the kindness responds to what mindfulness tells me. It makes my lower legs more comfortable. This attitude of being aware and being kind is one of the most important features which makes meditation deep, comfortable and effective. And I go to my knees. Knees, how are you? And of course I say that because many people have difficulties with their knees, especially in a meditation posture. Even sitting on a chair, sometimes they may ache. And sometimes I've found, years of practice, just looking at those needs, being aware of them, knowing how they feel, and having an attitude of expanding. Now it's only imaginary, you don't expand your needs, it's just you imagine everything getting bigger, so things flow more smoothly through the knees, there's no tightness anywhere. You let go of any feelings of stretching or squashing. Everything just relaxes to the max. Just like you're soaking your legs in a hot water bath. With no pressure on anything. Getting the maximum comfort. 
And I'm always amazed how that can overcome any feeling of inflammation or tension which causes uh, pain or injury. And I go past those knees to my thighs, relaxing as I go up to my butt. And the bottom is really comfortable, sitting on a nice cushion. I can feel the pressure of the body through the butt onto that cushion. But I know that because that doesn't move, because that feeling doesn't change, that feeling soon disappears. It's one of those little insights in meditation. You don't have to get rid of all feelings for things to disappear, just keep them even, balanced, and they disappear by themselves. You may hear the sound of the aircon now. After a few seconds, that sound will disappear from your perception. We don't turn the aircon off, it just is a constant balanced sound. And after a while, the brain just turns off from it. And then once my butt is comfortable enough, I make sure my back is nice and comfy too. And once the back is comfy, then I allow, so my waist is comfortable, then I get my awareness to go up my back. As it goes up the back, making sure that the back is as comfortable as it possibly can be. And then I also go down to the bottom of my body again, to the bottom of the torso. And this time I go up inside, up my digestive tract, like scanning upwards, up my torso. And check that everything is comfortable there. It's a strange thing, but after so many years of practice, you can relax anything inside your body. So as I'm going up, getting to my stomach, I can feel the tightness there. I think I just had a cup of tea beforehand and it's sitting there. All I need to do is to focus on that sensation Give it kindness, softness. It's like you may have a little dog or something in the house and it's a bit agitated. You give that little dog kindness, cuddle it, stroke it, and it soon calms down. Even parts of your body seem to be the same. You're kind to it. And it starts to feel that it's relaxing and easing off, becoming very, very comfortable. And I carry on scanning up my body till I get to my shoulders. When I get to my shoulders, to enable to relax the shoulders, I sometimes scrunch them up, deliberately, willfully scrunch up my shoulders. And once they're scrunched up to the max, then I let go. 
and my shoulders go to a place of relaxation much deeper than when I started. And also, it's a very clear example of what letting go means. You're not holding anything tight. You're not using willpower to close off anything, to stop anything, to stretch anything. Everything becomes so natural. Just like that simile of just putting down the glass of water. You don't hold anything. You have the confidence to let go. That's what I've done to my shoulders. Let them go. Carry on my awareness down my arms, past my elbows. Even though there's no problem there, sometimes I pause anyway just to check more deeply. And I can always relax it a little bit more. Go down my forearms, my wrists, and my hands and my fingers. Making sure that all the fingers are as comfortable as they can be. If I'm not sure, I try slightly different posture a couple of times and learn what my fingers feel is the most comfortable for them. It's a way of using mindfulness to get feedback, to find out how your body feels. And then I go back up to my shoulders and my neck. Sometimes when people meditate, their head slips too far in front of them or too far back or to the side. And that can cause uh, a lot of headache or pain. So I actually move my head to find out the opt optimum, the best position for it when I start meditating. And then, once I have that optimum position, I realize that's the best I can do. And I leave my moving of the head alone, it's balanced enough. And lastly, I become aware of the feelings in my face. Especially around the eyes, the nose, the mouth. If there's any tension there, a lot of times that can be as a result of emotional imbalance. So instead of addressing the emotions directly, I learn to relax the muscles around the eyes. Learn to relax the muscles around the nose and the mouth. And when I do so, my emotional peacefulness, tranquility, ease increases. I feel more internally relaxed. And before I let my body totally disappear, I try to be aware of the whole of my body sitting here, 
kind of joining everything together. If there's some parts which I've missed, I will try and adjust or relax them right now. But most of the time it's already well enough relaxed. And when I look at the whole body, relaxed, and you usually get this beautiful pleasure of relaxation come up. It's pleasant to have a body which is so relaxed, pain-free, injury-free. It's relaxed to the max. And when I notice the pleasure of relaxation, that is when the relaxation goes even deeper. It's very hard to recall times when you're even more relaxed than when you've gone through the body bit by bit and relaxed it so deeply. Body's relaxed, the mind is alert. So in order to focus more on the mind, I ask, how peaceful are you right now? Because peace is something which is a state of mind, not a state of body. How relaxed, so rather, how peaceful are you? When I can notice how peaceful I am, or how peaceful I'm not, then the next question is quite obvious. What causes the deepening of peace inside of you? This gets to the heart of what meditation is about. How to experience deeper and more stable inner peace. One thing I notice is being in this present moment. If you've been following the instructions for the last 10 or 15 minutes, you've been in this present moment with your body feelings. The longer you stay in this present moment, the more stable the attention is in the present. That's why it feels peaceful. You weren't worrying about the future, what you're going to do next. You weren't concerned about where you came from. You're just being aware of how these different parts of the body felt right now. Continue with the awareness in this present moment. And you'll find that causes deeper and deeper peace. How does peace feel? Peace feels really pleasant. And as you develop more and more peace, you'll find that the inclination to think, to name, to try and remember things, the inclination to you know, use that verbal faculty of the mind starts to fade away. 
you start to know in silence you're aware but not thinking that much beautiful silence in this moment once that is established then it's easy to go on to some of the other meditation objects such as your breathing but you don't decide to do that just let these meditation objects happen when you're really silent and relaxed that's one of the few things left happening the feeling of your breath coming in the feeling of your breath going out not controlling it but just like watching it watching it like sitting on the beach and watching the waves just gently slowly come up the beach and then fade away again just the air coming into your body and then fading away just awareness of a natural process and as you're observing this breath, if you wish to make it more interesting as you breathe in imagine breathing out peace breathing in peace, sorry however you feel peace to be if you can paint a picture of it metaphorically whatever signifies peace to you imagine it coming in riding on the breath into your body and mind with every in-breath and as the breath goes out taking away anything such as any sickness, any problems, difficulties and all of that just disappear with each out-breath breathing in peace breathing out, let go breathing in peace breathe out, let go if you can notice the joy the pleasure of being peaceful it's a wonderful help shows that the mind is recharging I'm now going to be quiet when I start speaking again it will be close to the end of the meditation
getting close to the end of the meditation period. How do you feel? How peaceful are you? What is peace like? You can try and describe it to yourself in qualities of joy, freedom, relaxation. Peace is not something you can hold with force. Peace is what occurs when you let go. You allow it to grow inside of you. And real peace always comes with a sense of very spiritual joy. And you look at your body and your body is relaxed when the mind's at peace the body has a chance to heal and energize I'm now going to ring the gong three times to end the meditation period please take time to listen when the last sound of the gong fades away, that's a signal to come out from your meditation. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. For those of you who are not aware that these Saturday afternoon meditation instructions are streamed all around the world and Today we have some questions. First is, we're not sure from where, the second from Singapore, the second one from Germany, and the third one I think is, I'm not sure. Anyway, the first question. It would be nice if you can have the questions on meditation. I know the last one is not really a meditation question, but anyhow. Dear Ajahn, how do we create joy in mind to meditate so it feels natural, not planned? And how do we give rise 
gradually, I suppose, to joy. This is something which certainly in my practice as a meditator, I was quite surprised at it. I never planned to find joy, it just happened by itself. And it's nice to be able to find the causes for that. Like the joy you feel in the mind is like a mental energy. And that mental energy, it's quite easy to understand where it comes from when you understand its energy. It's like your mind always has a source of energy, but we waste it. And we often use much more energy than is supplied to us. We get tired and we get uh, just nothing left or little left. And when we do our meditation, if we're still enough, we're not using more energy than is coming into our mind. And so the mind actually just brightens up, it energizes. At the end of the meditation, if you're really poised and still, there's huge amounts of energy available for you. And that's why you know, I've often made that comment, somebody actually commented it back to me, that it's like when you get into a deep meditation, and I'm, I'm over 72 now, I'm getting, not getting to be an old monk, I am an old monk. But sometimes if you had a very nice meditation, a deep meditation, when you get up you feel you could run the 100 meters in 10 seconds. You feel you've got huge amounts of energy inside of you. Of course you will never do that, because you know, what's the point of running? What's really important is using that energy to be able to serve, to help, and you just have to see. You open your eyes here. I see these beautiful uh, gardens in front of me. I've seen those gardens for years and years and years, probably longer than most of you, but they always look incredibly beautiful. It's the mind is ready to accept the reality of joy. You don't think about it, you just see it. That's one of the reasons why that even if you have some lunch or dinner afterwards, you'd always find that the food always tastes more delicious after you've had a good meditation. So if any of you say on a Saturday evening want to go out for dinner somewhere, Meditate first, and you'll appreciate your dinner much more. So you don't create joy in the mind. Joy is something like it's natural, it's there anyway. We kind of waste it. You're not creating it, you're just not wasting the energy which is naturally part of your mind. Anyway, the next question from Singapore, that's a nice question. From Singapore. In meditation, I often start seeing a little wormhole opening up and start growing in size. It looks like it's connected to a dark corner of outer space. I would want to jump into it, but the mind wouldn't budge. I should encourage the mind, if so, how? You know, sometimes a little wormhole, sometimes that's like the start of what we call nimittas in meditation. She's beautiful like visions, just a way of experiencing what's happening in the mind. The best time when that happens is when the body is mostly disappeared. And if you do 
um, have enough joy in the mind. The mind is so joyful anyway. That wormhole or the disc or whatever you see is actually quite beautiful. And it's important to be able to have that beauty in the mind. And then it's just so attractive you can't resist just going inside. It's not connected to a dark corner of outer space. That's just one perception of it. Look at it as connecting to deep inside of you. Not anywhere outside, but deep inside. Because the path of meditation is always going inside of things. Inside the body, you, know, you find this beautiful mind. Inside the mind, you find these beautiful nimittas. You're just going inwards every time. And a simile I've given to emphasize that is the thousand-petaled lotus. As the lotus opens up, you're not going to the other lotuses. You're staying in the lotus, which is your body and mind. You're going deeply into it. And the more deep you go into it, the more fragrant and beautiful and more subtle are the, the petals. And that's usually what happens in the mind. So you may think it's a wormhole opening up. If you really look at it uh, correctly, I would say, you find it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. And you get attracted into the deeper states of meditation. And of course, there's no dangers at all in the deep states of meditation. I have to correct myself there. There is one danger in the deep states of meditation. And that is, you're likely to lose your hair. <laughs> A monk or nun or something. But it's worth it, it's beautiful experiences. And you're finding out something about the nature, not of your body, of your mind. What is this mind? It's something which, you know, so often, actually I'm, I'm kind, of just, kind of disappointed. It's one of the reasons why I left science. Because you know, I was a science, a theoretical physicist. And the science, I mean, it was, to me it's obvious, the existence of a human mind. But little by little, over the years, I've found scientists have moved further away from the existence of a mind. And a long time ago, they were arguing, yeah, a mind has to exist, but it's part of the brain. And that to me is total, please excuse the word, I call go mayang. Go is a word for a ball. Mayang is what comes out of the back end of a ball. And I'm not really supposed to say rude words as a monk. You know the word I'm trying to allude to, don't you? What is it? Thank you, yes. I never said it. <laughs> because it's absolutely ridiculous. But nevertheless, just the idea of a mind, what is it? This is what you're finding out. If you went into that wormhole, as you put it, it's not really a wormhole, it's just going deeper inside of yourself. And then you go to you know, where the mind is. And that mind is gorgeous and beautiful and very, very powerful. It teaches you many things. Next week when I go, next Saturday, I'll be giving a talk in a conference in Singapore. And one of the things I'll be talking about is the nature of the mind. And just how that's so important to understand that when it comes to you know, death and dying, which each one of us will eventually come to. And it's beautiful to be able to know that mind, have experience of it. And that's actually, when that wormhole is opening up, there's an opportunity there to get to know your mind. I would want to jump into it, but the mind wouldn't budge. You don't want to 
let go of all the wantings, let it be a natural progress. You can't resist it. You don't stop it, you don't want it, it just happens. A natural opening up. You keep on meditating, and then after a while it just happens anyway. My job as a teacher is to reassure you there's no danger there at all, but so many, many wonderful things to gain. You know, things just like an understanding of what you are, understanding of you know, no fear of death anymore. I don't know how many people just get really grief-stricken when somebody passes away. You don't know what they're doing. You can find out exactly what happens to them when a person dies, with surety, not just belief. Because in the deep meditation, it's like you're experiencing something so, so similar. Anyway, so, so how? Keep listening to these talks on deep meditation, and then you will find out it's not that you encourage the mind, it's like you take away the obstacles for the mind going into those deep states. Next from Germany. What is the difference between meditation and contemplation? Does one work without the other? Even contemplation, that's an English word. A lot of times it means too much thinking. It's not a, an, a, a thing which I practice. I meditate, yeah, but don't contemplate things. Instead, I don't have visual aids here, but you know, what you do to understand what contemplation really is, what, how insight happens. I don't call it contemplation these days, better like exploration. What is this which I'm holding up? I th thank you for cooperating, even though you know that that's not what, he, what I meant. It's not, you don't give it a name. Does the name define what I'm holding up here? It's a glass, it's got water in it, it's third full, two-thirds empty. That's not the meaning of this exercise. You hold something up and you contemplate it. You allow your mind to almost like go inside it and look at it and get some things you've never seen before. That's a kind of exploration. You can only do that when the mind is pretty still. If your mind is restless, you say, water. Well, what the hell are we doing this for? Rubbish. That shows you've got a restless mind. But when you just hold it up and you can look at it, wow, I never saw that before. I think I drink out of this glass every week. And I'm seeing it like for the first time. It's kind of gorgeous. That's a sign actually you are exploring it. Because it's interesting, it's joyful, and you see things you've never seen before. That's why I call like exploring rather than contemplate. So that's meditation gives you the power to do that. You know, your mind is still, it's alert, and it can hold something with joy, with happiness. And you can go right into it, have some wonderful times. So it's not uh, contemplation, it's like exploration, you do need both. But of those two, the meditation, the stillness is the most important. And of course, that idea of meditation, what does it mean? And that's why for a long time now, for many years actually, that we have a word in Pali called samadhi, 
And so that means not concentration, it doesn't mean meditation, it means stillness. Keep the mind perfectly still. It's a beautiful thing to experience that stillness inside. But also it empowers one to be able to see things very deeply. The last question, this is not a meditation question. Hi Ajahn, my girlfriend is a bit poor. So my parents prefer a richer match. Also conflicting horoscope advice worries me. Struggling to choose parents' advice or to trust and take side with my girlfriend. And of course I'm the expert on this. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been mad, it's a long time since I had girlfriends. Goodness sake. Although I did say this morning that I do have a current girlfriend. I saw her this morning. Your dog, <laughs> Amy. I've been feeding a sausage to his dog every morning for years. So I sometimes re refer to Amy. It's only a little dog. It's my girlfriend, female dog. But anyway, I haven't had a girlfriend for years. For almost fi over 50 years. Goodness gracious. <coughs> So, but I do remember just one example that uh, one of our disciples you know, from our monasteries, he used to live over in Melbourne, Thai lady. Uh, she did have four children, uh, one boy, three girls. And every one of those children except one, when they got married, I did their marriage blessing for them. And they always thought, wow, you know, they had such happy marriages. Of course, I never chose anything. I was not a matchmaker or anything like that. I just gave them wonderful blessings and some advice. And the one who did not, uh, she got married before I, I could actually be around the family. She got married to uh, a very wealthy man. And the marriage turned out to be terrible. And it just so happens when I went to Bangkok, to teach at a conference, like I'm going to Singapore to teach at a conference on Friday. This was in Bangkok to teach at a conference. They put me up in a swanky hotel, and so she came to see me, the whole family came, because they're good disciples. And she almost, you know, could see there's something troubling her a lot. And I said, well, what's wrong? I'm just staying in a hotel room, they paid for it for me. And they said, she said to me, said, that was my honeymoon suite, and it was terrible. And now, Ajahn Brahm, you're staying in there. <laughs> and I felt really sorry for her. But later on in her life, she found another guy. Of course, that marriage never worked out. They got separated, divorced. She found another guy who was much more poor. But, you know, they're obviously just a very good match for one another. So they loved each other. So I talked her mum around to let him get married. Just saying, it doesn't really matter how wealthy, he's a good man, he's got a good character, he's uh, trustworthy. So because I talked their mother into allowing them to get married, last, you know, this year, in June, when I was in Phuket teaching a meditation retreat, they asked to come and see me. It was their 10-year wedding anniversary and they wanted to come and say thank you.
thank you for talking their mum into allowing them to get married. And that was really cute because they were really good friends. And no, they're good friends to me, both of them, look after me when I go to Bangkok. And it's nice to be able to see that you know, they're happy together. He's not poor, but he's not as wealthy as the, the first husband, but he's a good man. And that's all they really needed. So I was actually quite happy with that. It's an example. There's some money can sometimes get in people's ways. And I mentioned that in, uh, in detail because you can see this was something which happened to see two good people committed to each other. And if you are committed to each other, I don't think horoscopes actually work. And I'll say that again because once, you know, I'm a monk, you don't need him much. So people just, on my birthday, they've often asked me, Ajahn Brahm, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, nothing. I don't need anything. So but one day, this he was a Malaysian, he was an ex-lawyer, very clever man. So he said, I'm going to get you a birthday present, whether you like it or not. And at my birthday, he said, Ajahn Brahm, I want to present you with your birthday present. He said, it cost me a lot of money, your horoscope, for the next year. He paid a lot of money for that. Got this really very expensive, very well-known, uh, what do they call them? Like, not Feng Shui, no. Astrology or somebody, the one who does horoscopes anyway. He paid a lot of money for that. And he said, can I read it out for you? I said, yes, of course. And then he started reading it out. This is the horoscope for the next 12 months of someone who's born on the 7th of August, 1951. I think it was about 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon or something. I got all that detail for him. And he said, this year, this coming year, will be an excellent year for romance. I burst out laughing and so did everybody else. And that was the end of my lingering faith in horoscopes. <laughs> it was really funny. And of course it never worked. I'm still a monk, very happy as a monk. So be careful about horoscopes. You don't have to be controlled. I mean, no, that's not romance, that's just kindness for your dog, little dog. So anyway, that's one of the reasons why um, if that was me, I'd probably take sides with your girlfriend. I think sometimes you may be a bit poor, but you can together build a wonderful life. But don't sue me if it doesn't work out, okay? <laughs> so that's Ajahn Brahm's great wisdom on <laughs> girlfriends. That's probably all wrong. Anyway, for any uh, questions from the floor today? Going, going. Hi. Oh, you got the. Uh, We've got the Kalyana Friendship Community on at five. Yeah. And Venerable. 
Sadavahari is going to join us. Yeah, it's very <laughs> it's good. House of Peace. Yeah. Um, yeah, so please come along. We're going to chant the Metta Sutta. We're going to meditate. We're going to have far-ranging chats. So join us. Yeah, excellent. Okay, the and that name, KFZ, they asked me to give it a name and I said that as a joke. I've got to be very careful of the jokes I say because that one's stuck. <laughs> yeah, chat to a monk talk, yes. Okay, excellent. So we can actually now, uh, we're going to bow to the Buddha statue and then after that, um, we are free. <laughs>